morning, church. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, if you could go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are um, in a series called Better Together, and if uh, this is the first time you're at Minooka Bible Church, we've basically been covering why is it that we do church, why is it that, that Minooka Bible Church does church the way that we do it, and by doing that, we've kind of gone through our mission statement, the thing that we say each week of being a community of Christ followers or committed to being real with God, real with each other, and now finally in this last section, real in the world. Uh, last week, as we were getting into um, the beginning of this final uh, section, we've talked about this is the mission, uh, that every single one of us, no matter who you are, you're, you, if you're a, someone in Christ, you've been called on a mission. You have a calling. You have a vocation. And that that vocation is something where you're, that's the place where your mission takes place. So last week we talked about the location of the mission. Next week we're going to be talking about the, the message of the mission. And this week we're talking about the funding of the mission. And it, and it again is planted right in Matthew chapter 6. And this is a section, uh, right before we start reading it, that is right in the heart of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to this massive group of people and uh, so many people that he has to position himself in a certain way so that he could speak almost an amphitheater uh, type of scope so that, that he can communicate what he's communicating. And what he communicates between Matthew 5 and Matthew chapter 7 is something that is so profound that people have said, this is the manifesto of Christ's mission. This is, I mean, some people have said it's a retelling in Jesus' own words of, of the implications of the Ten Commandments. And some people have said this is, everything he's saying is so above and beyond our ability to do, there's no way we could actually step in and do so. And they're right, to some degree. Uh, Jesus is unlocking the way his kingdom works the way that his world works, which is going to be an affront to the culture that anyone lives in, whether it's first century or 2017, that it's going to be an affront to that type of worldview. He talks about things. Every portion of a person's life seems to be hit by the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is calling and saying, if you're my followers, this is the calling that we have. And honestly, that's impossible unless the gospel has unlocked it, unless you've accepted the good news and that Jesus started something in your heart where you're actually able to step into the kingdom and the life that he's crafted for you. That's what he lays out. And so if the, the stuff that you read between Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 7 seems above and beyond the call of duty, like forgiving people who have wronged you or money, understand this is a tall order. And this stuff, even though it makes sense, and from a Christian standpoint, it makes perfect sense. It's going to be a challenge, and it was a challenge to the people that Jesus initially talked to as well. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. All right, hold on one sec. What he's talking about here is this. Every single person, we know this, every single person is going to come to our last day. We're going to one day die, and before that, hopefully, we'll have an opportunity at an old age to be able to look back on the scope of our life. And, and when we're looking back on the scope of our life, we have the ability to have either a ton of regrets or recognize that, that our life was used for something significant. Jesus is saying when we invest ourselves in things that are, that are things that are expire, break, or end up at a garage sale in five years in our front yard, these things, when we invest our life in those things, those are the type of things that, that lead to disappointment and are, are an affront to his kingdom values. That his values are actually investing yourself in things that have an eternal ramification. 
that, that are greater in scope, so that, on the, and so that his, he gets the most glory. And on your final day, when you're looking back on all that stuff, all of us are going to have regrets, but we will have seen that our life was invested for something that mattered. His kingdom, his glory. Jesus says, don't invest it that other way. In verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now that's, okay, let me just unpack that just a little bit. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So Jesus is like, you want to know where your heart is? Look, forget you. You want to know where my heart is? You want to know where my heart is? My heart is not the fact that I'm standing up here preaching from Scripture. Like, because you could walk out here and say, man, that Errol, he's just so godly. He's so godly. He preached from a red Bible. That's how godly he is. He wears a godly hoodie. Godly, godly, God. If you're choosing to think of where my heart is based on the fact of what you're seeing up here, that may be an implication of some of the things God's doing in my life. And I love, I feel like God's called me to do this, but that is not, according to Jesus, where my, a good, the, the litmus test of the reflection of where my heart is. You want to know where my heart really is? Look at my bank account. Look at my, look at my credit card transactions. Look at my Amazon queue. Look, walk through my garage or my house. Look, you know, if you really want to know, according to Jesus, if you really want to know where my heart is, it's what I've invested my life in. It's, it's going to be better viewed on a Quicken spreadsheet. And so to show you how, where my heart is, I've provided a Quicken spreadsheet of my... Ex- no, just kidding. <laughs> that would lead to a dead Errol <laughs> when Julie found out. No, but that's, that honestly, you want to know that that's exactly, according to Jesus, where our heart is, is where we, in, where we invest ourselves, our treasure. So Jesus is like, it's very easy to see that. And that is what's so confronting and convicting for each of us. Because if we're honest, we realize that we invest in a lot of stuff that is based on the now and based on us and our comfort and our desire, the stuff we want, whatever, and not on stuff that's eternal. Verse 22, he continues, the eye, and this, is, this next section is goofy. It makes very little sense. In fact, I think people, when they were first listening to this, they may not have tracked with him unless they were listening to what he said in the, in the paragraph I just read to you and then the verses following, and we'll, we'll get to that. But he says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? To which everyone was like, I thought we were talking about money. You're t- light, dark, what are you talking about? We'll get to that in just a second. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that, that word right there, cannot, it, it's, it's connected in with this, this word dunamai, which, which is like the word that we get for dynamite and power. He's saying there's no way that you've got the ability to serve both God and money. Like it's, it's in, there's no power in, inside a human being to serve, to be the servant of, the doulos of, the, like not to be like an employee of, but the slave of both God and money. And the, money. and the word money that we have in English, some of your Bibles translated it into a different word. What is the word that you guys have? Mammon, which is like, what is that? It's, in here, it's actually literally the word mamona. Mamona means... It's a Greek Aramaic fusion word, which is talking about wealth and riches and property, 
Wealth, riches, and property. And, and we just translate that all, like fusing that into one word, money. In scripture, there's three uses for mamona, three uses for, for wealth and riches and property, things that we could own. The, the one that, that we see in scripture is to give appropriate care for one's own family and prevent them from becoming a burden to others. An ancient perspective was above and beyond, you know, how, you know what do we have or what can we own? It was, how do I position my family so that p- someone else doesn't have to take care of us? Secondly, to help those who are in need, especially the family of faith recognizing that we don't have judgment for people who are in need, but our fa- I'm going to take care of my family, and I've got a desire to help take care of those who can't. And then thirdly, encourage and support God's work in spreading the gospel of the kingdom both at home and around the world. This was assembled by um, a scholar named Matthew Wilkins, and he said, if we put Jesus at the center of our lives to serve and love him with all that we are and all that we have, we will use appropriately all the blessings of life and avoid the modern idolatry of materialism. And every single one of us struggles with this to some degree because we love stuff, don't we? I mean, stuff is, man, it's the stuff. Stuff is fantastic. We love it. It's something that brings, it brings us joy and happiness and everything else. And Jesus is like, that's going to mess you up. This type of perspective will poison you. And what he's doing in putting this right in the heart of this conversation about the kingdom and his followers saying, listen, if you're going to be my followers in my kingdom, there's a different way that we engage all of life. And when we're talking about money, it's going to be a different way of engaging even that. We talked about a month or so ago about the fact that why is it that we take an offering in a church service that's supposed to be worshiping God? And we talked about the the reaction between us and God and and that, that that it's a fitting place for us not only to sing and not only to hear from God's word, but to respond in worship in our giving. And that's true. But we also wanted to speak in the mission component of our mission statement to say, so what then happens? Once I've made that decision to give, once I've stepped into that, what does that do? And really, it's the implications of Jesus' kingdom principles at work because his followers took that mission statement of the Sermon on the Mount to heart, and they, as they're going into the church, they're allowing that to be their marching orders regarding all these different areas, including money. And so here's just a couple of realities that we see in that passage coming out of it for us today. One of which is this, that we see our worship redirected from self to Savior. When you and I, when we gather together at God's people and we actually generously give, when we actually step into that, we see something conditioning happening in our heart that's shifting. We see our worship redirected from self, which every single one of us is conditioned to be, to Savior. Uh, how many of you in here are married? This is the first time in this service that I've asked that. Okay, doesn't make you more valuable, doesn't make you more pretty, it just makes you married, right? So you're married. I didn't realize until I was married how selfish I was. I didn't realize how much of a jerk I was until I was married. I thought I was a really nice guy. And then I got married. And I realized I'm a jerk. I'm super, super self-absorbed, super, super self-centered. And I thought I was the most giving. I truly was lucky. That's why I'm, I'm, she's, she's really getting a good deal here with this arrow. And I realized right away, uh-uh. Because I had 22 years of conditioning my heart about me, me, me. Marriage has been what has been one of God's instruments to refine me, to realize that I need to redire- redirect in my marriage, that, that care and concern for me, Errol-centric, to being someone who's serving my spouse. When we give generously, when we step into that as a church, as a collective body, we are seeing God's instrument in our hearts 
redirect our worship from self, from self to Savior. It's a beautiful thing. He's talking there about that in that first, you know, investing your life in things that are eternal and having that kind of impact. Secondly, we also see our desire reoriented, recalibrated really, from stuff to surrender. We see our hearts recalibrated from stuff to surrender. When Jesus says that, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not our parents' fault. It isn't. But a lot of us weren't really handed a great deck of cards, a great hand of cards, when it came to how to deal with money. Some of you did, and that's, man, praise God for that. But a lot of us, we just, we didn't. And so we mismanage our money. We, we get a paycheck and we just spend and then we just go from there. And the problem with that is, is that right now, if you've done that for enough years or decades, you realize how messed up that is and how messed up that makes your family financially. It's almost like we've, we've allowed our heart to be connected with our treasure and that treasure to be whatever it is that we desire at the time. Again, when we first talked about this whole, seri- this whole subject matter, uh, we talked about it through the lens of the fact that every time we have a pay period, every time we have an earnings period, we, have, we are the only people on planet Earth who have the ability to make two choices regarding our earnings. We're the only people on planet Earth who actually have the ability to say, into each one of these buckets, spending and lifestyle, saving and investment and giving, you, not me, you, not your spouse, you, not your parents, you have, you're the only person who can make two choices with regard to your earnings in these things. And those two choices are what percentage you put into each one of these buckets and what order you do so. We talked about how the scripture for, the, for a New Testament believer, there's no percentage or prescription um, that we see you know, explicitly laid out in, in scripture. But we do see, and we talked about this, that for the early church, um, they followed the whole concept of the tithe, not legalistically, but in an act of worship. And, and they, they allowed that to be part of just their expression. You know, it's not that, man, God wants me to give 10%. 10% of my like, earnings? 10%, that's like 10%. Like 10. And some people have said, no, no, God, everything is God's. He's actually letting you keep 90. Okay, well, that sounds different, but it's still 10%. We talked about how wise living, when we're, when I'm, you know, one of the things that I love about Manuka Bible Church is that I have no clue what anyone gives, and there's only a treasurer who knows that, and that's a beautiful thing. So when I'm looking out at you, I have no clue, <laughs> which is, I love it. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing from God, because I just want to minister to people because they're people, regardless. That what you give is between you and God. But when people talk with me about some of the pitfalls and, and craters they've gotten into financially in their life, they share with me the fact that, look, when I first became a believer, I was this much in debt or this, this, and this. And it's not like I became a Christian and boom, shazam, all of a sudden I'm out of debt. But like reorienting my life around God's perspectives and principles, I started giving. And I couldn't do this right off. But I started like with five and, and moved it up to eight. And, I just, and, and some people are like, yeah, so I give way more than this now. And it's amazing because God has reoriented my life in such a way that I'm full of life. Um, as far as saving an investment, you know, you're going to spend a lot of money paying bills and stuff. And so this is just basically saying, I'm going to pay myself. I'm going to put money away for my kids, for my family, for, or for stuff so that I'm not blindsided with some type of health thing that I, I'm not financially prepared for. But I want to be wise with that. And then, okay, so we got 10, 10. What do we have left? 
80, thank you. I went to LA Unified School District, so 80%, 80%. And this is for everything else. This is, this is like, um, this is for your bills, your car bill, your, your phone bill, all that type of stuff. And so that, that's 80%. And the truth is, is that what we talked about last week is that if we start here, the priority of this, we see in scripture giving to God first and, and that t- type of thing. When we start here and then we move this direction, and we land here, that is necessarily going to impact how you spend that 80%, isn't it? It's going to challenge what you spend. It might even like cause you to, like, and this is a bummer, not buy certain things. Not go on certain vacations. Here's what happens with our culture. This, this is what happens with our culture. We don't do this, and we don't start there. This is, this is not just Minooka Bible Church. This is America. American culture gives 2 to 3%. Not 10, two to three. And honestly, that's like, man, that's, I'm lucky that I could do that because I've got nothing, man. Two to three percent. They save or invest three to four percent. And spending, this is the current average. 130 percent. Now, some of you are good at math. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. You're right. Something like this doesn't work. How does that happen? Debt. And what ends up happening is that what we end up doing is this. We start here. I pay the bills. I buy what I want. I'm living large on Arby's. Booyah. I get over here, oh, you know what, it's probably smart for me to start saving for my future, retirement, whatever, I'll start that, and what do I got, I don't have, I don't have anything left, but I'm going to, you know, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to step up to the plate and see what I've got in my wallet when they pass that bag, and the problem with that is this, is that this, this is why we're broken up. Um, I heard from uh, Terry uh, before the service. Uh, Terry runs uh, our Financial Peace University here. And, uh, and he was talking about how in the Great Depression, in the Great Depression, dollar for dollar, people gave more money in the Great Depression than they do today. Isn't that crazy? Why was that? I don't know. But this is where we're at right now. And we're incredibly depressed and sad. And the reason that we're sad and depressed is not because stuff is bad. Stuff is fine. It's because we put our faith, we put our treasure outside of what we were designed for. Now, as a pastor who's been pastoring here for 19 years, it's been super cool to watch people like this not be like their final like destiny, but then watching their life kind of get reoriented around God's perspectives and watching the fullness that comes in their life. And, that, and that's, that's super encouraging to me because it's one thing to preach something and know that God says it so it must be true, but it's another thing to see it impact someone in everyday life and go, oh, how cool is that? One of the families that went through Financial Peace University was the Kay family. And I asked Karen to share her story. And so here it is. Take a look at this. I'm Karen Kay. I've been coming to NBC for two to three years now. I was baptized um, right after my three kids were baptized, actually. We started off kind of one of our big dig-ins at church was FPU last fall um, with 
Terry and Kara, and as of next week, we will be completely debt-free except the house. But what's really cool is as we've gone through that process, we've sort of changed the way that we interact with money, with each other, and the things we buy. So over this whole last year, it's been like, you know, what is important and what is not, and what am I buying, and where is my money going, and what does that say about me? You know, when I when I make those purchases and I drive that car and I live in this house, what is that? Is that a representative of, you know, because they say you look at your checkbook and you can see, you know, what's important to you. And when we looked at that, at that point when we started that class, we were, you know, humiliated. Like, kind of like we always say, like we were trying to figure out how to get retirement to fit in and whatever. And well, there's just not money. There's not enough money to be putting towards that too. And then as we went through FPU, it was, we realized we were eating our retirement, actually physically eating out at restaurants every month. Um, and just, just some minor changes, like, is it really that important that we do this or that? And so just, and we did a whole year of that. And I'm so, I've been so, so grateful to have that year because if we hadn't gone through that, then the fire would be double the pain, double the loss. So the, the fire started in the garage and we didn't realize it was burning until probably 20 minutes after it started. We lost, the whole garage is just gone. My car was in there and it just melted and everything in the house has some amount of smoke damage. Our mantra, nothing important was lost, nothing important was lost. The kids are safe, we are safe. One of the things the insurance company does when they go through is, or the fire restoration people is, they determine what they can try to clean and then they leave stuff behind that is marked unsalvageable. Like, we're not even gonna try, this stuff isn't worth it or, or it's too far gone or whatever. So as we've been going through that process, like there's just boxes sitting in my house right now that I've had to go through an inventory and it's so uncomfortable to have to go through and line item all of the things that you've collected over 15 years. It's really humbling to look at the amount of stuff that you've collected that just does not matter. It just doesn't matter. And I guess that's what I'm always struck by is like how many things are available. Like this makes this more convenient. And you know, if you buy the upgraded version, then you don't even have to push that button twice. And it's crazy because it's all just junk. It's all just garbage. It all has no value. And like, that's just been something that's been wide open the whole time. Like how much we have spent investing in stuff and in, in, in comfort for sake of comfort and convenience. We're just buying so many things. I mean, like we're down to an amount of stuff that I think, like I joked with Rowan, I'm like, we have like probably what we moved in with our first apartment with right now. Like, you know, everyone's got like four shirts and three socks and like, it's just basics. And it's good. It's not like 60 loads of laundry of what? Like, I don't think even by most people's standards, I would have been considered materialistic or, you know, like we're not crazy about what we buy or the brands all the time, teenagers. But for the most part, like Rowan and I were pretty functional, like, but the amount of stuff and the cost on it, it's just, it's mind blowing. Why is our bar society's normal? That shouldn't be my bar. My bar should be God and what he would find normal. And I'm nowhere near that. And it's just super humbling because 
I just realized I have a really, really long way to go. And so I'm just trying to go through this process and like let those bad feelings just transform us in the way we do things and not just hit reset and rebuy everything and just go back to the way it was. I love that line of what she said. Why is the bar of our normal society's normal? Why, why is the bar not you know, God's perspective? And when we look at Matthew 6, we have a different perspective, which is different from try to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. It's going to make you happy. And it, and it actually changes. I, I mean, if, listen, today's your, here's your homework for today. Watch some television. Watch some TV, but not for the programs, but specifically watch for the commercials. Because commercials will let you know how this is. Commercials, every single commercial is going to do this to you. Commercials are going to say, um, listen, you're great. We love you, but you're super deficient. Um, you're beautiful, but really you're ugly. So we've got something, though, that will make you happy. It's actually going to bring to you something that is mind-blowing. And in fact, what it's going to do is, I mean, look at the people in this commercial. How attractive are they? I mean, it's, seriously, it's already shot in California or something. Like, and you're like, okay, this is it. And if you're kind of like, yeah, but you know what? I've listened to that whole line. I've believed that if I bought this right stuff, I was going to be happy. People were going to like me more. I was going to feel more complete. And I've recognized that, that, is, that that's, it sells itself short. That's when the, 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 the advertisement lays in this. Okay, true, but let's be honest. You work really hard. You deserve this. You don't need it. Okay, maybe you're right. You don't need it, but you deserve it. And we've been drinking that poison, man, for our whole life. It's very American. It's just not very Jesus' kingdom. See, Jesus' kingdom is positioning ourselves to put our heart and our treasure in him. And when we live in the way that is the American dream that is accumulate, accumulate, first and foremost, and not investing in, in our, our lives or our resources in him, we, position, we edge out our ability to step into his kingdom and his work in our personal lives. And, and it may be one of the reasons why you find yourself a little bit frustrated with life because part of it is you've been believing the materialistic idol of this is going to complete me and satisfy me when it never could do that. One of the amazing things that we have the ability to do as a church is that when we gather together, when we come together and actually pool ourselves and say, I, I'm more than an individual, I'm part of a community, a community of Christ followers who are committed to being real in the world, all of a sudden we see something happen. We see our impact maximized both here on, on NBC's campus in our community and across the world. This is when Jesus gets to the end there and he's talking about you cannot serve. There's no way you could serve. You don't have the power to serve both God and money. When you see that yourself like, look, okay, I'm, I'm currently in a hole, but I want my master to be God. I want my master to be Christ in his kingdom. All of a sudden, some things start to happen that change. It changes this community. It changes globally. But it, not only that, it changes you. It actually is part of what God's instrument is in transforming you. And that happens when we gather together. Last week, we talked about our vocation. And we had Ryan Coleman put together that map, remember? We had him pinpoint all of the different homes um, that are in our area that come to Minooka Bible Church. And, and he flagged, like with little red houses, all of the people that uh, attend Minooka Bible Church in our area. And we, we said that just looking at all that, this is amazing because our vocation is to represent him well in all these places because there's a lot of beige. And, and, and there's some people that are going to other, other places of worship and that's fantastic. But I mean, there's lots of people in, in and around all of us that don't know him. And we talked about when we live as Christ has called us to live, 
All of a sudden, we no longer just look like chicken pox, which that kind of looks like chicken pox, but what else do we look like? Stars. We look like stars shining in the darkness. The constellation of his grace, of his transformative power into the dark world around us. And that's not just us individually, but each one of those stars represents somebody. Somebody who is allowing God to call, be used to um, call them into the vocation of, of their calling. And all the people around them that God cares about. But the cool thing is, is that as much as we can do this anywhere we go, whether it's at our workplace or at our school or, or in our neighborhood, we have that ability to, to impact for God, all those people around us just by representing him. The truth is, is that there's some things we can't do individually. Like just, if it's just us, there's certain things that, that God has called us to do corporately that we can't do individually to make the impact globally through missionaries. It's difficult to do that on an individual basis, to uh, arrange and orchestrate programs to help disciple people, to reach the next generation for Christ. Some of those things are tall orders for us to do individually. And that's, that's part of the, the genius of the church because we are better together. He's called us into a body, a body of believers. It's not just us. Our church is made up of all these other little people. And the cool thing is that you're not just sending a check to some organization. You know these people's names. They're sitting in front of you. They're volunteering around here. You could have a cup of coffee with them. You are literally brothers and sisters in Christ alongside them. I mean, and the truth is, is that when we gather together, we are pooling our impact from an individual basis to a massive family basis. I mean, all these people, including, I mean, Eric, if you were here last week, Eric and I, were good now. He's part of the bunch. And that, that all impact, when we come together and we recognize that what we're doing is better together, we see that impact going from just being impacting these people inside here to doing what the church was intended to do, to be a light and a beacon to the world outside. We gather together because our God is great and he's created us for community. But the impact that happens when we step into mission and when we fund that mission goes outward. It actually steps into making an impact that you could never make on your own, but you can make alongside other people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ within your local church. And honestly, if that offends you, if the idea of giving generously to your local church offends you, you're like, seriously, this is, I, I, I needed a reason to quit Manuka Bible Church. Now I've got it. He talked about money, and I said, as soon as the church starts talking about money, I'm going to find another church. Okay, we're going to miss you. But when you get to that next church, give generously, okay? Give generously because when you do, you're going to be seeing something take place where you're going to be positioning yourself to give God glory. You're going to see something amazing happen in your life, and you're going to be doing something big for the kingdom. And I'm a fan of that, whether you're here at Manuka Bible Church or you're someplace else. Just step into that. Don't continue being enslaved to the dream that we've been living off of, the American dream that just doesn't get us where God has called us. On the back side of your notes, um, if you're anything like me, I'm, I'm somebody that has a real difficult, well, I don't, I don't carry a checkbook because I don't. Some of you do, and that's awesome. But I, we recognize that people don't carry their checkbooks or people sometimes they're out of town and stuff. And so we're like, we need to position Manuka Bible Church to continue to being a part of this, whether they're here on campus or they're out of town on vacation or whatever else. And so what we did when we came up with, uh, we didn't come up with, but when we started doing online giving was giving you the capability to do that. Julie and I, one of the things that we do is we talk through about what we're going to give for the year and we just make it kind of an automatic withdrawal so that we know at the beginning of every month, at the beginning of every pay period, 
we've got something that's automatically going so that I'm not getting to the end of a month where I'm like chowing down on, I'm living large on Arby's or whatever. I'm not getting to the end of that and just going, what do I have left? But I'm letting that be something that is the starting point for me. Generous giving, we step into Christ's kingdom. If you're 60 plus, you probably already own this. You probably already got this. I mean, this is something that you, you've lived long enough to see that when we invest our lives in junk, it ends up being an awesome thing that we can sell at a garage sale in five years, but that's about it. It's break, it's gonna go out of fad, out of style. And so you, you're, you're, you're already on top of this. Um, if you're in my generation or you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s, we, we stink at this. I don't know what happened with us, but we got really lazy or really believing that giving to the church is something that's not our deal. Um, instead, we wanted to give to a lot of other things that, or, and a lot of those other things were just us. But I want to challenge you, if you're in my generation, to, to step it up and step in um, for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of yourselves and watching what God does there. And if you're in your, in your late teens and 20s, I want to challenge you to do something my generation didn't. And that is to believe Jesus at his word and to step into mission and to do it boldly and show my generation up. Show us what it looks like and step in significantly. Somebody said this, and I don't know who said it, but I love this quote. I don't want the epitaph for our generation to be that we were able to buy some cool stuff and that we lived a little bit better than our parents. I don't want the epitaph, I don't want the final word for my generation to be that we were able to buy some cool stuff and we were able to live a little bit better than our parents. I want it to be that we changed things for God's glory. And whether that's, that's the way that we give here, and it's also like when we see things on Facebook like Alyssa Mayfield, who's going to be going on a, a year mission um, to be able to support her. She's got a, a, a fundraiser like um, on Saturday night at, at, um, at a bowling alley. Which bowling alley? Joe's actually just stepped out. Okay. Um, we'll have it on Facebook. It's something that, you know, to actually step into those things and make big differences. You know, there, there's somebody... Um, there's some people who actually have already gotten this concept at our church. And believe it or not, they're, they're some of the youngest people. Um, a month ago, this little girl, 11-year-old girl named Chloe, Chloe comes up to me right down there. I was right down there at the bottom of the stairs. And she came up and she gives me this envelope. And at first, I thought it was a present for me. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. And she clarified, no, it's not for you. I'm like, Great. What is it? And she said, this is actually for um, Manuka Bible Church's food pantry. I'm like, oh, that's super cool. That's awesome. And so I wrote her dad later. And I'm like, Ed, what, what was the deal with uh, Chloe's gift, her giving uh, money for Manuka Bible Church's food pantry? He said, well, we, after school one day, we volunteered at NBC's food pantry. And she was so blown away and taken by the fact that um, she saw what Manuka Bible Church was helping people who needed some food, that she said, when it comes to my birthday in January, I want all the money that comes to me from family members and stuff and checks or cash, I want to give all of that to the food pantry. Do you know how much was in here? $50,000. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was $50. But for an 11-year-old, that's like $50,000. And as Ed is writing this, he said, and I'm tearing up because that kid loves money. <laughs> and the reason why he was tearing up and the reason why some of you are tearing up is because when we see the faith of a child, it convicts all of us. 
because as adults, we have confounded and complicated and misdirected our life. So it's about our toys and our homes and our vacations. And we've kind of pitifully stepped into being about the things that are eternal. What if we actually followed Chloe's lead and recognized that the best things that we could be a part of is God and his mission? And that impacts all of our lives. But part of that impacts our finances. And that, in fact, Chloe's right. We are, in fact, better together. Our impact, globally and and locally, is maximized for his glory in and through how we step in as a community. And we will see God glorified as a result of that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, Lord, I pray for all the the thoughts and conversations that's uh, just come out of our, our mindset when we see how your scripture conflicts with our everyday practice. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you love us so much that you direct us, you know, just let us wander and do whatever we do to poison ourselves, but you continue to direct us back to your heart and allow our heart to look more and more like yours. Lord, I pray for the conversations and the plans um, that we make from this point on forward with regard to this area of our life, this very pertinent and realistic area of our life, that you allow it to be the thing that we see you glorifying yourself through, you getting dominion and control over, and the impact that happens to be bringing you glory. And we'll give you thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come next week for the message of the mission.